Welcome, everyone, to It Simply Isn't Done, the Sermon Recap Podcast. I'm Reverend Jess Davenport. And I am Reverend Barry Petrucci. We are the pastors at Chapel Hill Church. And together we are the, the Irreverent Reverends. And uh, like the name would suggest, this podcast is the message from Sunday, where we share the scripture and then the sermon, and uh, we meet you back for some reflection on that message. There will be an opportunity to, if you look down in the notes, you will see a place where you can go directly to the reflection. If you already listened to the scripture uh, on the sermon, or if you just want to skip them all together and uh, just hear what we have to think about it, um, you can go there. We're happy you're here. We are indeed. We are in the midst, or rather have just begun, our Epiphany series called PCH Playlist, Portage Chapel Hill Playlist. And that came from, uh, well, we planned it, but we gave some opportunity for folks to do, at the 11 o'clock service, to do some prayer stations where they actually wrote down um, kind of where they were with music, what music was particularly meaningful to them in their lives and their spiritual journey. Uh, it might be, might have been generally about music, but um, also specifics of what songs. We collated those. Collated. Um, collected. Yeah, collected and collated. Sure. Can you can you call anyway? <laughs> we gathered them and we put them in a literal playlist that is on Spotify and it's on Apple Music, so you can listen to those songs um, throughout your week, even beyond this series. And our hopes were that we would hear more about our faith through the language of music. So we're grateful you're here for this epiphany. And this week we started with our first one. We did, and you preached it. I did, I did, and I got to just really, it was kind of a mini homily, which was fun. Uh, we used Psalm 98, um, and a version of the message that I edited as <laughs> our main text. Um, I really loved what Peterson did with Psalm 98. Uh, but it was too exclusive male language, and I don't feel bad about editing a paraphrase of the Bible. I don't think there's much wrong with editing a paraphrase. Um, so I, I threw in some other terms in there. Sheila read it uh, beautifully. Deb read it beautifully. Um, if you've already heard it, and you already heard um, our little bits of witness from Sean and Kathy and the message, you can go ahead and skip through to whatever the notes say, um, where where the timestamp will be. What else happened yesterday, Barry? Oh, we also uh, had a big announcement. Um, I think it was a big announcement because I made it. Uh, that was um, that I've been reappointed. And if you want to hear about that, then you can uh, go to the end of the, uh, the worship time where I make that announcement before benediction. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit as well in the podcast so so here's the scripture here is um the message and we'll catch you on the other side for some reflection reading Psalm 98, 1 through 14. Sing to God a brand new song. He's made a world of wonders. She rolled up her sleeves. She set things right. 
God made history with salvation. God showed the world what God could do. He remembered to love us, a bonus to his dear family. Israel, indefatigable love. The whole earth comes to attention. Look, God's work of salvation. Shout your praises to God, everybody. Let loose and sing, strike up the band and the bells. Round up an orchestra to play for God. Add on a hundred voice choir. Feature trumpets and big trombones. Fill the air with praises to God. Let the sea and its fish give a round of applause with everything living on earth joining in. Let ocean breakers call out encore and mountains harmonize the finale. A tribute to God when he comes, when God comes to set the earth right. She'll straighten out the whole world. He'll put the world right and everyone in it. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, we are in this season of Epiphany, and um, we're going to start a new series. The series is called PCH Playlist, Portage Chapel Hill Playlist. Um, I want you, if you were around here, right, during Advent at this service, the 11 o'clock, The Journey, we asked you to consider music, songs that instilled you with either hope or love or peace, joy in your spirit and connected you to God. There was a little box on the bottom of those cards that said, check if you would be willing to share some of this. And some of you did, you checked it. (laughs) And so throughout this series, we're gonna be hearing from you and how music has touched your life. Um, I also wanna let you know if you haven't seen on the website or in the weekly email, there are literal playlists, right? You all submitted songs. We have over 70 songs that we have on a Spotify and an Apple Music playlist that you can listen to and hear the songs that people put forth that set their spirit right in some way. It's really fun and it's pretty varied. So like there's like one from Veggie Tales and like then there's Bob Dylan. There's a lot going on, <laughs> but I would commend it to you. It's really interesting. So why are we doing this? Well, part of our call, our vows in the United Methodist tradition are to share with one another our gifts, our service, our prayers, our presence. And then in the mid 2000s, we added our witness. That's a little scary for us. That's scary for us United Methodists. We are, whew, we might have to talk. We might have to talk about our faith and share our stories, not just do stuff in the community. It's good. It stretches us, right? We're not trying to be like folks with a bullhorn on the street corner. We don't have to go that far. This is a way for us to learn expressing our faith story because within this congregation, whether you are here or you are beyond here, you all have beautiful faith stories worth telling and worth hearing, right? It's good for us to hear from one another. And for many of us, music is a language that makes those stories accessible, right? If I asked you to come up, just come on up and give a testimony, That would be hard for a lot of us, right? But we could maybe think about a song where we heard God's voice so clearly, where we can talk about how God works in our lives. So for these next several weeks, we're going to be hearing stories from folks within and connected to our church 
about how music is one of their faith languages in hopes it will embolden us to share our stories with one another and also receive the gift of people being vulnerable enough to share their faith language with us. So we're going to listen to two of those stories right now. Music has always been important to me. Um, even growing up with my mom driving the car, we would sing at the top of our lungs to songs like Locomotion and Rhinestone Cowboy. Um, and then in my freshman year of high school, I went and saw Godspell. And that's when I became a Christian and accepted God. And uh, the music really played a big role in that decision. In high school, I joined a youth group where we sang all the time. And that's how we raised money for our mission trips was to put on concerts. In college, I joined a youth choir through the Church of God called Michigan Singers, and we toured all around the Midwest. And as an adult, I created a worship team that would tour across West Michigan called New Creation. We used contemporary worship music. And then um, one of the churches that we performed at asked me to become their director of music and worship, and I did that for 25 years. And so music has always been a huge part of my life. The first thing is it gave me a sense of community, joining the choirs that I performed in and joining the youth group where all we did was sing together. Um, music has really brought me in connection with other Christians and my friends and family. Learning and memorizing scripture, music is the best way to do that. Most of Christian songs are based on scripture. And so when I need to memorize scripture or remember scripture that applies in a certain situation, I think of a song that has that scripture as part of it. And then finally, when I'm feeling strongly that I need God's presence in my life, I always reach out to God in song. Uh, when I need a sense of peace to come over me because I'm stressed or anxious about something, I will sing a song called uh, Let the Peace of God Reign. When I need God to take over, when I know that I'm going into a situation where um, I might behave badly, I ask God to take over and I sing Psalm 19, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And I need God to guide me when I'm having to make a difficult decision. I sing a, called, a song called Lead Me Along the Path from a musical about Joseph. Uh, when I want to uh, express how I'm worried about my finances and I'm worried about paying my bills, I sing Jehovah Jireh that God is always able to provide for my needs. And when I just want to praise God because I'm happy and something wonderful has happened, I sing a song called Glorious. After 25 years of being a music pastor, I have plenty of music to draw on and pretty much know a song for every situation. So I cannot even imagine what my faith walk would be without music. Very early on, when I was a kid, I was part of the children's choir at our, at our church. Um, but I discovered I'm not a good singer. <laughs> so when I was 12, I discovered handbells. Our church um, had had handbells for several years, and I was finally old enough. I was finally in seventh grade and was able to play. And that was my thing. 
I played flute and French horn and band, but the handbells are truly my love. I, from an early on, back when we were in the children's stuff, um, I loved the, the songs that had a story to them. I still remember the phrase, oh, Elijah, mighty man of God. So I always have looked for the songs that tell a story to help me learn the stories of the Bible. And some of them have gone by the wayside and other ones are still stuck in my head uh, 50 years later. <laughs> um, but I love that all the emotions can be covered all of the time of your lives can be covered in bells. Um, recently, I heard a young lady sing a song about the bells, the bells, the bells, and it was based on the Edgar Allan Poe poem where he talks about all the different types of bells that are played throughout your life. And it, there's even um, some lines in one of the Hunchback of Notre Dame about what the bells are there for, that it's there for the ascension, it's there for the resurrection, it's there for weddings, it's there for death. Um, bells are just always there in your life. Um, I try to be as inclusive as possible. Um, I have a ringer that when she first joined us about four or five years ago, could not read music. She understood rhythm a little bit, which helps. So as long as she could count one, two, three, four, one and two and three and four, um, she will say that she doesn't know more than the two notes that she always plays in the bass, but every now and then we will catch her go, well, isn't that a such and such a note? And we're like, oh yeah, you've learned. <laughs> so I love to see the personal growth. And you know, when she can't read music, we mark everything. And there's ways that I like to mark things that are more easily adaptable, but we have others that sort of know how to read music, but we mark it and, you know, your difference between your left hand and your right hand. And uh, we, we take it from there. I have found what's very meaningful for this group, especially is we now, if you look over here on my agendas, we always have a prayers and praises beginning. So we, we, we know what's on everybody's hearts when they come in and we understand if they're not in a good place and we try to do whatever we can to boost them if we can. Um, and some days we just commiserate with them. Um, and then I always try to have a spiritual gathering song. So this year um, it's There is a Wideness just to get us it focused and in that place of what is the purpose of this we are playing for the sake of God. every face that I look at as I'm playing the music. Sorry, I'm gonna lose it. I knew this question was coming. <laughs> um, these group, these, this group of people are just amazing human beings and I love the fact that they care for each other. They truly will do anything for each other. Um, there was one time when one of the ringers was on crutches and we literally took one of the chairs that have the wheels and we would meet them at the front door and move them here to the room because it's a long haul from one end of the building to here to the rehearsal room. Um, so we're always there for each other. Mm -hmm. um, we are always on the lookout for new ringers. If you have an interest, if you 
Um, just want to know how do those suckers work? Um, it's not as easy as it it, as it looks, but I say I can teach you in 30 seconds because I can. I can teach you in 30 seconds. Ask Barry. <laughs> Go ahead and ask Barry. <laughs> Friends, music is special. There has not been a culture discovered on earth that has not sung, that has not used tonality and music to communicate. There is something innate about music within us. A pretty typical path of development is that babies will sing before they speak, right? We, we hear their syllables and their consonants and they sing them. Mama, Dada, Baba. <laughs> We're used to hearing that. We know that songs help us remember things. Um, I don't know if any of you had filmed those safety videos in the 90s. Did your parents make you film any of those? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, was it just my parents? <laughs> it was like a video and it was like, hi, I'm Jess and I like pizza. And it was like, in case, you know, you went missing or something, maybe my parents are paranoid. But we had to remember our address and I didn't know my address before then. So my parents taught me a song. We don't live there anymore so I can share it, but it was 1948 Holiday Drive. Right? We remember things. Music helps things stick in our brain and in our spirits. Right? We know, we know that music connects to us in a different way than just talking does. And I would hold that God made us to connect through music together. God created us to express our thoughts and feelings with this beautiful universal language of music. Now, some of us might be shifting in our seats a little bit because we do not think we are musically inclined. Ooh. And friends, there is a difference in trained musician, musicianship and the rest of us, right? Like I can sing, but I'm not a singer. That's okay. This isn't about skill. This is about expression how we were created to express, right? And today in our scripture, it says, sing a brand new song, not to the exclusion of any old ones. Those are good. But sing a new song for the new time we're in to tell of the wonder God has done and is doing. And it's not one specific thing that God has done that the psalmist was praising, it's God's continued unfolding goodness and justice and mercy towards us, towards creation, worthy of song. God, our creator, continues to co-create with and within us. And we have this beautiful thousands of year old response, which is to bust out in song. Words are not enough to praise our God. They must be set to music. There are many music concepts that Barry and I are going to cover in this series and how they might have something to teach us, like rests and Sabbath, fermatas, right? Pausing, taking a comma, singing in a group, playing in a band, right? Because even if you're not a music person, music does have a lot to teach us. Today, I want us to look at and work on our categorization of music. As humans, we love boxes. We love discrete little boxes. We love to compartmentalize things. 
it's a helpful tool for survival, and sometimes we go overboard. We do it too much. And I think we do that with music, right? There's this category of sacred music, and then there's everything else, right? The secular, the profane, right? So we have Christian music and secular music, and I don't find those to be helpful categories when we consider our faith stories. And I share that as someone who connects deeply to music, specifically lyricism. And the most impactful songs in my life do not fit in the Christian music category. The songs where I felt God wrap me up and envelop me in presence or challenge me to grow into the future God was begging me to enter, they're not sacred music songs. And yet they are sacred to me. They are holy, they are set apart where I understand God's presence to be. Right? And that says nothing. It's nothing negative about Christian music. If you have been here for a hot minute, you know I worship through music. I cannot sit still. I am up here hoping my microphone is turned off so you don't have to hear me belting <laughs> loudly. There are many songs, hymns, worship, music, sacred music I adore and I love and mean a lot to me. But the category of sacred and profane, sacred and secular, I think can be a disservice. They are words to describe music maybe, right? But then we also broadly apply them to our lives in ways that aren't helpful, right? You have this hour of your 168 of the week. This is your Christian hour. You do your Christian things and then you leave, right? What do you do then, right? This is church time. When I leave, it's gonna be lunchtime. <laughs> then if I'm lucky, it's gonna be nap time. Then maybe shovel snow time. <laughs> Confirmation youth group, you get the picture, right? When we're at work, it's work time. When we're with family, it's family time. When we're zoning out on our couch watching Fargo, it's Fargo time. <laughs> that might just be me, it's okay. <laughs> but here's the thing, friends. God is not limited to what humans consider sacred. God is not limited to what humans consider sacred. Bird songs are not in the category of sacred music, yet I hear God's very imprint within them, unless it's a crow. <laughs> I need to do a little work there, but you get the point. When we compartmentalize so intensely, we, we forget, right? We forget that even when we're out of the space, even when we're not doing our explicit Christian things, the God is within all of it. Our conversations with our relatives, our coworkers, our roommates, our friends, they are also part of God's purview. And we might do well to intentionally invite God into those spaces, right? Not so that we have to act different and all prim and proper, somehow be a different person, but so that we can name there is not a space, there is not a place, there is not a relationship that God cannot impact and transform. God wants to be part of all of it. Not so that you're different, right? But because you are who you are. And when we invite God in, God's able to work a little better than working against us. So this week, as we take the stories we've heard, I want you to consider where you've drawn the lines between sacred and secular and where you might open up to what God has for you and us anywhere 
and everywhere. Amen. Welcome back. <laughs> Glad you're here. <laughs> it's been a minute. Yeah, um, we didn't have worship on the 14th. We did record a podcast about um, what our system looks like in this time of transition, but we didn't have worship because of the weather, which that was the first time you had ever had that experience in, you know, 40 years. It has, it has spurned lots of conversation about whether that was factual or not, but I stick to my story. Oh, okay. My, my, I believe uh, you. Lisa, my uh, life partner, <laughs> remembers it differently. Quite certain that I had done that once before, but I, she could not come up with the data, and uh, I'm sticking to my story. Well, you know, either way, we canceled worship uh, because it was not safe for folks to even get into our lot. <laughs> but we were grateful to be together again. Um, we kicked off the series, and each week we're kind of going to touch on a concept um, somehow connected to music. And this week I really wanted to talk about uh, how we perhaps unnecessarily distinguish between sacred and secular, or as um, philosopher Durkheim would say, sacred and profane. And, and that kind of binary we, we present as if it is the only option. Yeah, and there's been a lot of writing about it. Uh, Mercia Eliade did uh, a book called The Sacred and the Profane as well. Uh, and we do kind of do that, particularly in church. Um, you know, what kind of language we were, you know, hey, be careful you're in church. Mm-hmm. Um, and singing church songs. And if you're a real Christian, then the music you're, you're going to listen to is strictly labeled contemporary Christian music or sacred music. Um, and and in this series, we want to make sure that people understood that um, we didn't want them to limit their uh, talking about music that was important to them as, as necessarily in a box of sacred music. Um, and yet many did. Mm-hmm. Many did. Mm-hmm. So our playlist is quite a combination. It's a, quite a mashup of sacred and profane. Yes. So for you, what's profane? Is anything profane? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I would... I would guess yes. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting is that I'll, um, it's subjective, right? So I'll watch media or, you know, listen to songs and that would have what others would consider profanity of some nature. I will not perceive it that way. Um, I'm usually pretty open to differing ways of understanding uh the world and like people's lifestyles so i don't know it's interesting i'm not sure that i could universally say x y or z is profane um i probably could if i had more time to think about it but i don't know that i would it would benefit anyone or, or do well to characterize i know for me personally there are probably some things that you know would be uh that i would consider profane can you flip it is there something that's absolutely sacred absolutely sacred well i mean that you you know you, you just know is sacred when you when you see it <laughs> or well i know it's, it. it's, it's kind of like the yeah. supreme court's definition of pornography like <laughs> yeah. i don't know if i could define it but i know it when i, I see it right, I see it, right? <laughs> um for me personally yeah 
I think so. Um, I, I have, as a, as a nerdy Methodist, I just have a deep and abiding belief that the mystery of communion and baptism are always sacred, um, in spite of humans. And, and I trust the means of grace and the mystery they're in. So like, that's a nerdy version of that. That's really churchy. I would say there are places and spaces in the world that others would not consider sacred that I do. They are holy and they are set apart. Um, when I go back home, you and I have had this conversation mm-hmm. about like, when will I consider Michigan home? Home isn't Michigan yet for me. Home is the middle of a grain field where I can see the moon and the stars and my family's there. And I was talking to my parents about how, you know, Tori and I go there and like we we're so tired and we sleep a lot. We can go to bed earlier. And some of it's just because our nervous systems <laughs> can relax sure. so completely because we feel so... Um, that space is so set apart for us. It is a holy place for my family to be and for me to exist um, in my in my parents' presence and the hospitality they provide and, and the comfort of being known and loved and accepted as I am. That that place is holy for me where other people would be like, oh, you know, the middle of Farmer Jensen's field is probably not a holy set apart place <laughs> for all. But yeah, what about you? Yeah. Well, well. Before you move off of that, I mean, part of part of that, I think it was, I think it was Parker Palmer, but whoever was talking about home is the place where you know that people mm-hmm. will always take mm-hmm. you in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you you can always go there, and so it's got a it's got a sanctity about it because of the uh, of the arms that are that are perpetually open for you. Yeah, and like you know, there's a creek bed. I feel that way about where yeah. I grew up. That so it doesn't even. It's not even necessarily people. Sure, that, sure. You know, like I, I felt like I could be me there, and it was very holy. And you know, I asked this question, and I learned it from a pastor. And you asked this question too. We don't often ask people where they're from. We ask people where's home for you, because mm-hmm. where you're from might not be a question that you want to really talk about. You can learn more from a person when you say where's home for you. Yeah. Makes him think a little bit more. I heard you do that the other day. Yeah. I imagine you do it frequently. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, so the profane piece for me is in some ways easier because I consider I pr- consider profanity that which is, is uh, designed to harm. Sure. Um, yeah. And so... I know language, I know imagery, I know contexts that are put in place to be harmful. And that is subjective, um, however, right? I mean, it, it, it may be, yeah. um, but ultimately it's not for me to say unless I'm mm. feeling the harm personally. But if something is directed at you and you feel the harm and I'm aware of that, it is equally profane for me, because I stand in solidarity with you, um, equally is not what I want to say. It, it has the power of profanity for me because I stand with you. Mm. Uh, so the profane, you know, it's, it's too early, it's, it's too easy to say that sacred and profane are polar- polarities. Yes, yeah. Um, sacred for me is... Uh, that which is imbued with the divine in some way. Um, and it might be visually, it might be what I hear or, or, um, uh, or taste. Um, it might be a space that, 
that takes my breath away mm-hmm. uh, in, in good ways. You know, I, I certainly <laughs> have had the experience of going into spaces that were unquestionably evil, and I could not put my finger on that right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been in spaces that were that took my breath away in, in a deeply uh, reassuring way. Uh, that 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 this was some place that where God, if not is, where the presence of God has been in a way that made a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask a question? Yeah, of course. So could I answer it? That may be entirely different. Yeah, we'll see. Um, you said earlier that uh, the profane is that which is intended to harm. Yeah. What about something that actually harms that wasn't intended to? Is that profane or is that what do you what do you make of that? Um, Depends on the situation. I think I it mean. is certainly experiences profane, but when I think mm-hmm. about that which is profane, I think it's got an intentionality about it. Yeah, a maliciousness. Uh, yeah. A maliciousness. Um, I think I can experience something from as profane without being certain of the intent or where it came from. So it's, it's yeah. I experience it as profane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I use the the word, it's got an intentionality connected to it. I love this conversation, and and you and I have talked about this a lot, and I I think I've preached about it. Um, but there are societal and cultural norms around what is profanity and what isn't, and they are generationally different here in Western society. <laughs> are we going to do the seven words you can't say on podcasts? We don't have to say the words. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, you know, we know that's different culture to culture. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, there yeah, are hand yeah, gestures, yeah. there are things you do or don't do that are considered profane or not yes. between cultures. But even within, um, you know, there are subcultures within our very Western Americanized culture um, where things are considered profane or not. And so my generation and younger tend to not really have issues with, uh, with language like swear words, right, that are considered uh, profanity. You know, the F word, all these other words that kind of get used a lot, we use them a lot more loosely. They do not hold the same meaning. Whereas words that are slurs, words that would denigrate someone's identity, we are hypersensitive about. Um, You know, like the R word is like a huge no. You know, like that's a word that cannot be said. I'm talking about someone's intellectual abilities, things like that. Um, And that is a huge flip from the generations above mine, where, you know, it was more normative to hear and experience slurs, even if they were were never okay, or even say them, it was culturally normative, but profanity, saying the F word was like an absolute, oh, no, no. Here in nice, polite Midwest culture, you might have had a different experience on the streets of Brooklyn. (laughs) It was Queens, but yeah, yeah, point point well taken. Uh. Yeah, well, I, th- I think part of that, as I think about my generation, because I'm baby boomer, tail end, um, and I, I experienced the lines that were drawn about what words you could or could not say mm. as issues of power. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It was my father telling me mm-hmm. what he would tolerate in, in the house and what he would not. It mm-hmm. didn't matter whether he said them. You know, um, you know, out back, 
but but in his in his house these words would not be tolerated and they were not different than this than the seven words that George Carlin did his routine about that you cannot say on TV <laughs> and, he, and he said them on TV um, the, the, this the way we uh, get offended or not by language tends to be tied to tends to be tied to power yep. and what you exp- so so it's one thing for me to say these are words that are really harmful and I, I I choose not to say them it's another thing for me to say and you may not say them because they offend me yeah um, it's it's a little bit more difficult it's like we can have really good conversations about why it simply may not be the best thing in building relationships to use the R word or the N word or a myriad of other words that marginalize persons and, mm-hmm. and those are important conversations and then we get to say, yeah, I'm not going to do that because it's not helpful in building relationships, not helpful in building community. As soon as I say those are wrong, do not use them, that's a, that, that's a power mm-hmm. grab. And we find it in the workplaces and we find it here. In the, and I, I generally think it's not, in, in the broader scheme of things, putting those kinds of rules on are not terribly helpful in the same way. It was not terribly helpful for the Supreme Court to rule on what was pornography. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's a good way to talk about it. It's it's interesting because I've just noticed those differences and being told that uh, language I use is not quote unquote polite, right? And I'm like, is politeness the standard? Because if, if I don't, I want to, you know, yeah. I want to be Christ-like, and that dude flipped tables. So, yeah. and what, what does that even mean? I know, polite to whom? And in what circumstance and, and what is my expression um, seem to seem to go on about. And, you know, it's it's an interesting conversation about what is profane or not, yeah. um, which is to say, like a lot of us, you know, uh, depending on where we're at, we'll use different language for different purposes. Yeah. And with whom we feel comfortable with, we'll use absolutely, you know, we'll use different language entirely. So, I mean, I think this is I, I wanted I wanted to kind of move us here right at the beginning of the conversation because uh, you didn't have a ton of time yesterday and, and, and the objective was really about freeing people to see that the music that we use in churches is a kind of music but it's not the only kind and mm-hmm. that, that there is sanctity in in music that is considered culturally popular mm-hmm. um, and uh, may may use some pretty rough terminology but st- and not but and still may be uh, powerfully sacred to the listener absolutely I yeah I think music and language and, and using music as a language language is a good way to kind of talk about this and um, segue into the fact that we we so we so hyper compartmentalize and we also put a lot of onus on you need to communicate with me in a way that I understand not I need to work to hear you and that's the power piece you're talking about right yeah. you need to communicate with me in a way that I find acceptable if you want to be heard because otherwise x y you know instead of hey I really want to hear you you have a different perspective that I'm not used to and maybe I might be challenged maybe I might not agree with it but can I be open to it and that's really what a lot of our conversation yesterday was about, was like, hey, do we need to put these boxes around what we consider God's time and our time and, and where God is allowed to exist, as if God cannot exist anywhere God chooses, which is everywhere, right? Um, yeah, and the, and the limits. When we put limits on people, we put limits on God. 
right? That's kind of the reality. And some of those limits are like boundaries that are appropriate. But when we put limits on what people are allowed to say or do, that it does not harm us. Yes. Right. That that is that is seeking relationship building and right relationship, even if that's hard to hear. We are limiting what God, you know, can do uh, in our own lives and in yeah. the community. I, yeah, I I think that's right, and I think it's interesting that faith community has a long history of acting like we need to uh, we need to protect God oh. from from hearing this awful stuff oh, that rolls no. out of our mouth. And and so people become offended on God's behalf. Mm-hmm. Blasphemy. <laughs> blasphemy. Yeah. Oh, to blaspheme. To blaspheme. So ah. so that so the blaspheme is really a very particular kind of thing in Scripture, mm-hmm. and it became it became this thing that anything bad, anything that people considered to be bad coming out of your mouth, was blasphemy, and uh, because it because it was offensive to God. Well, yeah, that, that is like taking, like what people will be like, when you swear you're taking the Lord's yeah. name in vain. I'm like, that is a stretch. Yeah, that is not what that means. I think that is talking to swearing and assuming you have God's power on your behalf and, and making an idol of yourself in God's name rather than using language that is yeah. impolite. No, take, yeah. taking the name of the Lord your God in vain is, is taking it as though it means nothing. Yes. Like it can just be tossed around yeah. as if as if God is not, you know. God. As though God is not. Yeah. yeah. So that, that gets me worked up too. Well, here, <laughs> here are the pastors getting all worked up. Ah. Well, especially as someone who worked in campus ministry where, let me tell you, the young people have a lot to say and you might not like the way they say it. It might feel too coarse, right? But well, like, I mean, you and I talk differently with each other. We sure do. Than we do with the congregation. If people came in and heard us sometime, they would think that we're we are offensive. There may be a yeah. lot of reasons why we're offensive, but <laughs> but please don't don't count language among it you know, yeah. among those things. Um, yeah, I mean, I was joking around yes uh, on Saturday with the blood drive because I I uh, had blood drawn from my fingertips twice, and both times I got my middle finger on each hand. So I'm, I had uh, bandages on my middle fingers, and I was going around showing everybody my two middle finger bandages, <laughs> which I thought was hysterical. Uh, you know, so if people wanted to be offended by that, that's it's it's okay. I'll risk that offense. Um, well, there yeah. Was, there was neither harm harm uh, intended, nor was there harm given. I mean, that's just good, clean fun, right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, to your point, some people just like to be offended. You know, it's oh, not hard, right? Yes. It's not hard for some people to just find something to take offense to. And like, that's a, you know, we can talk about that pastorally. There's other issues involved in that. Um, but all of this is really to say, we put limits, the, we put limits on God. We say what is sacred music. We say what is not. And that's, that's not really how God works. No. And especially when we're not in tune with understanding, um, our experience of God, even if we can't really describe it, but if, if it seems out of our grasp entirely, we're more apt to put boxes around where God can and cannot be. Yeah. And the, the, the problem, people of faith, is that if we're going to find reasons to be offended, we're going to find all kinds of reasons to not be fully present in the world mm-hmm. and being the Christ bearers we're supposed to be as mm-hmm. Christians. And... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be concerned about people that are living in my neighborhood, I'm gonna go to the pub, 
and I'm going to hang, and I'm going to listen, I'm going to be present in whatever way I possibly can. And, and part of that has got to be not to find people offensive by virtue of a word they might use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, this is, uh, I'm hopeful, especially in the conversation around this and, and us adopting a posture of openness to where God might be working, um, that's, it's hard to do, right? And your, and your scripture this week touches on how that's mm-hmm. hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I'm not sure the way we've built society and culture has, it does not, I can say, I, it does not have built in at that posture of openness. That is something that is intentional and countercultural as Christians that we have to work on. Right. It's, it's like a yoga posture. You have to work on it. Some of us are better at it naturally than others, but you know, it's, it's a practice for a reason. And yeah. And then I feel like that's also a good, a good little segue. Speaking of adopting a posture of openness <laughs> to the reality that we, we knew this transition was coming. I knew this transition was coming before I even got here yeah. and it's still like, it's, it's right upon us. Um, and so you were you were able to make an announcement about where the bishop and cabinet have appointed you come July one. Dum, 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 yeah. Dum, dum. What else yeah. would you say about it? What if- so this is so this is a big transition we've been working on. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Jess came uh, half time at Wesley Foundation, half time here, and we've moved into full time for three years, uh, four years, three. I'm years. Going into my fourth. Going into your fourth yeah. year. Um. And all that time, the, the whole purpose was to transition out of my long pastorate of 23 years and to do something new, creative, and faithful at Chapel Hill and in the community of, of Portage and around Portage um, and into the world. So, <laughs> so I will be, uh, I, it has been discerned that um, I will be the pastor at at Wyoming Park United Methodist Church, which is in on the edge of Grand Rapids. It's just west of 131, just north of 28th Street. Uh, a creative ministry that, uh, you know, it, um, it has struggled in terms of, uh, of membership. And um, they've brought lots of people in from other churches that have closed. And, the, and this urban congregation has stayed relatively small. Um, and they had the vision uh, to partner with a with a, a housing ministry called Family Promise that began with uh, interfaith hospitality network where churches yeah. house different families a week at a time and mm-hmm. move the cots around and, and, and do all that. And I've got great familiarity with that from my years of urban ministry in Grand Rapids, but, but Family Promise wanted a space where they could develop um, short-term emergency apartments um, for families um, as transitional space before getting, getting them into, into more permanent housing. Um, and so Family Promise bought the property from Wyoming Park and leased part of that facility back to the church for worship and small groups and fellowship and so forth. Um, so the church was able to get that piece of their budget essentially off their backs because because uh, owning a owning a church building, particularly an older church building, is is a huge 
um, piece of budget. Um, so it's enabled them to vision something new uh, and their pastor was um, wanting to retire and uh, so I will be following Kim into uh, the pastor at Wyoming Park bringing kind of in lots of ways going back home after being in, in Portage for these years been going back to urban ministry in Grand Rapids which is where I was became, before I came here 23 yeah. years ago so um, yeah I'm excited about it uh, obviously you know there's there's always staying and you're leaving and leaving and you're staying and all that good stuff um, a lot of grief as thinking about the really good years here and uh, particularly grief around the uh, solid partnership that, that Jess and I have had and yeah yeah it's a good thing that doesn't make it an easy thing right yeah I you know I will have more opportunities to talk about this but I think it's important that folks know that um, as pastors like we articulate a call to ministry not knowing where we're going to go right we just have the sense that God is calling us to a particular role within the church and then um, we serve and we learn and we grow and our call is um, evolving right it changes and it grows with us and and we have experiences and then we feel particularly called into into different things Many of you have lived in Methodist land and, and you've been in churches where like every three years, like clockwork, you get a brand new pastor. We have a system where we kind of move clergy around. This church was gifted with the relationship building and presence and steady leadership um, of Barry for, you know, 23 years. That's a long time. Oh. That's a college graduate right there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know, something that if folks know you at all, you, you have you have a heart for urban ministry, love it, um, and have been able to do, you know, fulfill your calling. And I assume at times feel fulfilled here in this. And that's still a part of your heart and a thing that you feel is so dear. Um, yeah. So it's, it's nice to have that expression of, of knowing that our call, our call is, is from God and it's big. It's big and it changes with us because there's still some people that are like, wasn't Barry retiring? You know, yeah, like, there was no talking people out of the their idea that I should retire, which made me feel like, gee, I must really look awful and, <laughs> and old and haggard and something. But, you know, I, 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 st- I told the bishop I felt like I had seven years to give, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. wanted to do something that was uh, that would make use of my gifts and that was meaningful. And um, as we say, through prayer and discernment, mm-hmm. This is where we this is where we ended up, and uh, excited about that. Not, you know, lots of questions yet about how how it's all happening, and and uh, but that's how appointments always are, and yeah. uh, there will be an announcement coming here in the not too distant future about who's coming to be co-pastor with you, Jess, and that's uh, equally exciting. And yeah, yeah, it's it's equally you know I think to speak to Barry's point. Um, you know, it, we we knew before I even got here that he would be leaving, right? That was kind of, that was part of the, the whole point of uh, co-pastorate for intentional transition. That was the right? only way you were going to come if you knew this was going to not going to last forever. No, <laughs> no. But um, what has been, uh, I'm not, uh, maybe unexpected, but like Barry and I are just friends. Like, yeah. Really enjoy one another, working yeah. with each other. Um it's been it's been so good, and frankly, if it were just us just doing, so, we could keep working together. So there is grief in the realization that, like, oh, this is not our call, and this is not what the church needs, yeah. and excitement that we 
um, like we still get our friendship and our, our, you know, our colleague relationship, but like also what a joy and what a gift it is that it's, that it's sad, you know? Right. Right. And I think that's a gift to the church too, that it's, it's sad. Like I'm going to miss you and that's sad. And I'm going to miss the, our working together and the work we did, which I am very proud of, but I'd much rather have that than be like, thank God that guy's gone. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you can have them both. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a good thing uh, to, you know, um, to have done our best to, you know, love one another in the congregation. Well, and yes, we do have, um, we will have news, right? The way our system works is we you have to shuffle folks around based on a lot of factors. And so after Barry received um, and, and the church and Barry mutually confirmed his appointment, we could start our process of discernment. And so we'll have um, we'll have candidates meeting with SPRC and we'll have we'll have news soon about what that is. So there's a lot of, a lot of change and transformation, which is a great time to be having people share their their stories of faith during Epiphany, right? A season yeah. of, of naming change and what God can do. So Yeah. And and you know, we're doing at the same time we're doing strategic planning and people are doing surveys because this is this is the time to to kind of put it all in and say, um, this is really what I'm hoping for because it's mm-hmm. anytime you've got big transitions, uh, the more people that can that can be a part of what is next, uh, the, the more integrity that next is going to have. Yeah. Um, you know, if I could, if I could briefly if speak could. to that, there are people that are like, well, why are we doing this when the pastor is leaving? Which is an absolutely valid point and question. Like, yes. The answer is because we want the congregation to have a lot of ownership over our strategy, right? Because pastors don't, uh, in the dream world, in my dream scenario, right, as a pastor, um, we get to come in and we get to shepherd. I kind of use the analogy of like, I get to be a master gardener, but I don't decide what's planted, right? We decide that together. And the people that have the ownership, right, over the garden kind of decide that. And I get to tend and we get to do, you know, fun things within these roles. But having ownership over our strategy and direction um, and, and trusting that, a good partnership will lead us in the right direction. That's where we need to be, right? And and let let us as pastors fulfill our role as you know shepherds and gardeners of what is to come with others alongside us, and ownership of the church to say, hey, this is where we want to go, and we want you to lead us. It's a really good word uh, in terms of we were talking about uh, what is sacred and what is profane. You know, I, I like the image of the master gardener because mm-hmm. uh, it says that there's a. There's a shared vision mm-hmm. and a shared ground that you till. You know, the other side of it is that the horror of having a community garden where everybody's doing their own thing, not communicating, mm-hmm. and somebody's got invasive species mm-hmm. that, are, that are killing off other things, and that happens in churches as well. Yeah, and, absolutely. And a church uh, this size with the, with the gifts that we've got, uh, we've got the ability to do, to do really good coordinating plan, coordinated planning and uh Chapel Hill is at a really good place right now, and, and uh, whoever is to come is going to be a part of partnering to the next stage in the life of this of this now sixty-one-year-old uh, congregation. Yeah, yeah, and what a gift to have a leader come into a congregation with a congregation that says, "Hey, this is what we want to do. You help us make it happen," as opposed to you come in, you tell us what to yeah, do, and you do all out. the work. Yeah, figure it out. Yeah, right. So, and then we'll know who to blame. 
but you know, perhaps. So if you have more questions about that, you know, we'd, we'd love to chat with you. Um, and hopefully we'll have more, more news coming for you soon. It'll be good. Great. It'll be good. See you next time.